Lord, we would, by your Spirit, have you help us to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as we enter this holy season of Lent, even tonight, that the glory of your gospel and your redeeming power would brighten these days as we move ever toward the celebration of your resurrection. Lord, open my lips that my mouth would proclaim your praise. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please go ahead and be seated. I'm going to do something a little bit differently this evening from the way I ordinarily preach instead of just sticking with one uh, particular text. I really want to talk about sin, forgiveness, confession, ashes, and the cross. Week in and week out, our liturgy leads us to respond to the word of God by confessing our sin. Now, that's the first place I actually need to pause because we need to talk about what do we even mean by that? You know, in this day and age, we can't take it for granted that when we use words like sin and, and you know, sanctification, you know, all these Christianese words that people really understand what we're talking about. So let's pause and say, what, what is sin? What do we mean by it? Well, the Greek word for sin is hamartia. The Hebrew is hata. And they both have the same root concept behind them. They both mean simply to miss. To miss. They're actually archery terms in origin. It means to miss the mark. As a bow hunter and archer, that's something I'm very familiar with. Missing the mark. Sin simply means all the ways we miss the mark, day in and day out. And when we pause to confess those ways that we've missed the mark, we may call to mind some of the specific ways where we know we've fallen short of God's glory. Words spoken in anger, selfishness we allow to manifest in our actions, Things that we've done as well as things that we know perhaps we should have done and failed to do. Kindness we failed to show. Places we didn't put others ahead of our own interests. But more than calling to mind our specific failings, when the church invites us to confess our sins, we're also talking about confessing our big S sin, if I can put it that way. What theologians call original sin, basically the inborn inclination of our hearts towards self rather than toward God and others. This is why the season of repentance known as Lent begins with this day, Ash Wednesday. In nautical terms, this is our dead reckoning. To take a dead reckoning is to pinpoint your location on a chart based on where you knew you were the last time you were able to take, you know, good soundings, and calculating according to, you know, wind and tide and speed where you believe you are now, based on where you knew you were. That's what Ash Wednesday is for us, what Lent is in the life of faith, the opportunity to take a dead reckoning 
to look at our lives and ask, Lord, where have I drifted off course? Where have I placed other things ahead of you? Where am I missing the mark? This is why we enter into this season with this embodied spiritual practice of placing ashes on our heads. And why in just a minute as I do so, I'm going to use the very specific words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Those are words, the words of God, to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, after Adam and Eve first rebelled against God. By placing these ashes on our heads and evoking God's statement about the consequences of Adam's initial rebellion, namely death, we're confessing that we too share in that same rebellion each and every day that we are inheritors of that consequence. That we are mortal and inclined toward missing the mark, inclined toward rebellion against God in favor of orientation toward our own self-will. And therefore, we are all daily, weekly, annually in need of these wake-up calls to confess the inclination towards self and turn in repentance, which simply means turning, turn back toward God. This is the dead reckoning that urges us to calculate how far off course we've strayed. And so the church leads us to confess our sin. And then what do we receive in exchange for that humble confession of where we're at? Assurance, assurance of God's love and forgiveness. We receive, in effect, what we in the church call the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he's done. Here I'm drawing from some wonderful teaching that a few of us heard from Dr. Ashley Null a few weeks ago at our diocesan synod. There's a reason why after the confession, And even after that declaration that God desires not the death of sinners, but that they might turn toward him and live and has commanded his ministers to declare to his people being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins, that they might lead a new life. Even after that, the priest is instructed to declare the word of God again to all who truly turn to him what we affectionately call in our liturgy the comfortable words, words of comfort. This is a deliberately instructive motion. These are curated words from the scripture to lead us back in repentance, back to the good news of Jesus. They instruct us, they tell us, how does God respond to our confession? With further condemnation? Oh, sure, now you come asking for mercy. Hmm, finally got around to seeing you can't do it on your own, huh? Ha, forgive that? Are you serious? No. First, we hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does Jesus respond to us acknowledging our missing of the mark? Not with condemnation, but with an invitation to rest. 
Acknowledgement that leading a life of constantly missing the mark is exhausting. In older language of our confession, which we bring back around during Lent, we confess our sin and we say, we are deeply sorry for these uh, transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. It is heavy to carry this. In the face of the weight of our missing of the mark, the heaviness we feel, the consequences we reap, the weight that presses upon our souls, the weight of our own mortality, Jesus reaches out to us with invitation, come and rest. What a gracious response. But Jesus does not just invite us to come and rest. He also offers us a way out of the cycle. A declaration of God's plan, God's salvation. In the words of Jesus himself, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Jesus would say elsewhere, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus doesn't simply come offering relief from the heaviness of our lives, the heaviness of our missing the mark. He comes offering abundant life. God's grace received through faith in Jesus. And then we're reminded of St. Paul's words. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You miss the mark? You feel guilty? You struggle? Don't worry. That's the very reason Christ Jesus came into this world, to save you and me from ourselves. He came to reach those of us who missed the mark. He came to deliver us from the shame and the fear that accompany our missing of the mark. You have to clean yourself up and get right to come to Jesus because he has already come to you. St. Paul clearly had in mind the words of Jesus himself, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, mark missers. Your dead reckoning shows you how much you've missed the mark. That's good because Jesus came for you. But the liturgy adds one final word to complete the picture of God's response to our repentance. Not only has Jesus come to call us, invite us, and save us, but he's given the means by which that can be accomplished. Jesus backs his words with actions. He gave himself his very life in order to back up his invitation. The final word that we're reminded of week in and week out St. John tells us, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. And don't worry, I'm not going to go on without explaining the funky theological word in the middle of that statement. Propitiation. It means to fully satisfy a just requirement fully satisfy a just requirement. If God is perfect and requires perfection, if his very being as the ultimate good in the universe and beyond requires our total worship and seeking nothing short of him and him only, anything short, any missing of the mark requires justice, 
and therefore requires the reaping of consequences. And now we're back to those words with which I'll administer the ashes. Remember you are dust, and to dust you will return. As St. Paul says it, for the wages of sin, missing the mark, is death. Now that sounds harsh, but it's the just reaping of consequences. Yeah, St. Paul goes on. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Or as he says elsewhere, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. How can life be given in exchange when we deserve, simply put, the just consequence of our rebellion and shortcoming? Because Jesus Christ, the only righteous one, gave his own life to be the propitiation, the satisfying self-offering that satisfies the price of justice. Friends, people out there in the world look at Christ followers on a day like Ash Wednesday in particular and, and say things like, see, they're always going on about sin and, and judgment and punishment. How morbid to put ashes on your forehead and be told you're returning to the dust. But understand, brothers and sisters, we only talk about sin and judgment and death in order that we might fully understand and appreciate the inexhaustible mercy and grace and love of a God who would stop at nothing, even taking on the fullness of humanity himself so that he could live and die to save you and me from the consequences of our own actions, the consequences of our own rebellion. And that's why even tonight, as I put the ashes on each of our foreheads, they'll be put on in the form of a cross. So that we're reminded that yes, we are dust and to dust we shall return. We constantly miss the mark and need to return daily to putting God first, following his way of love and life. But we're reminded equally that by the cross, Jesus has made satisfaction. That he's given his life so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Tonight we embody in liturgical action the whole sense of this season of Holy Lent as what the ancient church called a bright sadness. Appropriate sadness as we take our dead reckoning and realizing how far we've missed the mark. But a sadness that is bright, even joyful, because our recognition leads us in repentance and through repentance leads us to Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. As we'll pray in the exalted at the Easter Vigil, O oh, happy fault that gained for us so great and glorious a Redeemer. We come to Lent, we come to Ash Wednesday confessing our fault, our perpetual missing of the mark. And what we get in exchange is the glorious good news, the gospel that exchanges abundant life for the dust of death. We receive ashes, but they come in the form of a cross. Let's pray. 
gracious Lord, we praise you for so great and glorious a gospel. We are humbled, Lord. See us, see each of your people here tonight in our humility. And lead us, and lead us through this season of bright sadness to the glorious day of resurrection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.